Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. This week, we're going to talk um, a little bit about this question, can America still experience revival? Like, Can there be a national revival, even though America seems so far um, removed from wanting to follow God and all that? We'll get into that in a second, but I do want to touch on, on some news items because there have been a couple pretty major developments. It's felt pretty major in the news. Um, first, I want to take a look at Vivek Ramaswamy. And um, Vivek has really been impressing me over the past, I don't know, a couple months. I've been I've been super impressed with him. And um, to be clear, you know, Vivek is pretty young, so I tend to think that um, you know presidential candidates you know, should be a little bit older. Um, it's not to say that it's it's impossible, you know, for Vivek to get it and to do a good job in the role. Um, but I think for most people, like Vivek is aimed at the same people that that Trump um, that support Trump right now, right? He's, I mean, he's gearing up really to be Trump's successor, and I think that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, the reality is, unless Trump gets you know arrested or legally can't run for office this time, Trump is going to get the nominee. Almost certainly, right? Um, and Vivek, uh, you know, Vivek doesn't stand a huge chance this time around of getting the nominee. But I'll say this from my perspective, Vivek is doing an amazing job at articulating the kind of stuff that, you know, Trump, my perception of Trump is that Trump has a very good gut instinct on a lot of things. All right. Like, you know, when they asked him about, you know, the the BLM stuff. You know, the, the thing about Trump is Trump is not ideologically committed um, to fight BLM like DeSantis is. DeSantis can articulate pretty clearly what's wrong with BLM, right, with Black Lives Matter. Um, and the, the Marxist um, foundations for their activism, everything, okay? Um, Trump can't. And in fact, you see Trump, you know, uh, Trump at the end of the day, he uh, he is, he supports anybody who will support him. <laughs> and he's against anybody who's against him, right? This is one of Trump's, in my opinion, Trump's greatest weaknesses. And you see that, like, you know, if somebody is speaking well about him, he'll speak really well about them in return. But if somebody says something, you know, bad about him or criticizes him in some way, he immediately goes on full attack mode, even if, you know that that person's a good person. Like when he attacked Ted Cruz and Ted Cruz's wife um, in the last election, in the 2016 election. You know um, that was so uncalled for, so like so vindictive and petty. And you know that this is Trump's greatest weakness. Okay, and um, it, it, my my point in saying all this is that Trump has good gut instincts on things like BLM. When they asked him about it, he you know he said, "Well, they're, they're teaching kids to hate America," and that's exactly right. Okay, he he can't really articulate all the you know academic reasons about why they do that and what they're trying to accomplish, and you know he he, he can't he he doesn't know that, but on a gut level he could tell they're teaching them to hate America and and we should be America first, <laughs> right? Like, and that's that's what's really fascinating about Trump is that he finds himself in the crossfire simply because he's reacting on a gut instinct level against all of this globalist Marxist influence. He doesn't really understand it, but he just knows that there's something that's anti-patriotic about it that, that goes against some of his convictions on a, on a gut level. And so he, you know, so he stands against it. And Trump's greatest strength is that he's not intimidated and that he's not discouraged, right? Even though the entire media apparatus is running negative stories about him constantly, right? He's not discouraged. And in fact, he starts attacking them. <laughs> Right. You know, that that to me, that's one of the all time amazing moves when he turned, you know, the fake news narrative that was, you know, the, the whole concept of fake news that was created by Obama. And really, it was directed at Fox News. Right. And that's that was part of like, you know, in in, in Obama's second term, you know, the whole media establishment was really trying to label Fox News as being fake news. And and you see Obama do that. And um, when Trump came on the scene, you know, he turned around, and he pointed at CNN, and he said, you're fake news. Right. So he kind of co-opted that. And then that became Trump's thing. And that's, you know, I don't know how the heck he pulls that kind of stuff off. 
you know, <laughs> you know, people say he's a, you know, he's a skilled marketer, and um, I guess so. But what I see Trump doing is I, what I see him doing is he just says the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, which maybe that's eighty percent of effective marketing, right? <laughs> Like maybe that's what effective marketing is, you know, where he's just willing to keep saying it over and over and, and nothing will stop me. Even though he's being criticized nonstop for saying it, he's just going to keep saying it. I mean, that's the power of Trump. Okay. Um, so, you know, with his strengths and weaknesses, Trump is almost certainly going to be, you know, the Republican nominee. Um, now, Vivek, though, lives in the same lane. And what he's doing is he's articulating Trump's positions in a way that shows that he fully understands why he blues this way, right? And the difference about Vivek is he's willing to say the things that are deeply unpopular, and he's willing to say them all. And the way that he frames and characterizes it is that he's an outsider, he's not bought and paid for, and that's what he's constantly attacking um, the other Republican candidates, especially Nikki Haley, right? He's going, he's going ham on Nikki Haley, saying that she's bought and paid for by all these defense contractors and stuff like that, and she's she's gotten rich, you know, being their mouthpiece, essentially. And he's saying, I'm not bought and paid for this, so this is why I'm the only one who can say these things. And I have to give the guy some credit, because he is saying things that no other Republican at that level is willing to say, because it immediately gets you attacked, and, and frankly, it gets you canceled, even by the Republican establishment figures. All right. I want to play this clip um, because he he says <laughs> five or six super, you know, super controversial, unpopular things to say in a row. Um, but I think he's right. OK, here's the clip. I think the real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11? That the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform? That the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech? That the 2016 election, the one that Trump won for sure, was also one that was stolen from him by the national security establishment okay. that actually Thank put you. up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they knew was false. There's a reason why I'm the only person That'll on the it, stage sir. who can Thank say you. these things. That's what it's going to take, not people who were licking his boots one time and now Monday okay. morning quarterbacking and criticizing him when it's convenient. Okay. Um, I, I want to I break down some of those things. First, he says that January 6th is an inside job. Um, I want to touch on this one more in depth in a second, okay? Um, but he talks about the great replacement theory, okay? Now, it, I, I challenge you, go and Google great replacement theory. If you Google it, this is, this is what you'll find. You will find pages and pages of Google search um, items basically condemning this idea of the great replacement theory as a far-right extremist, white nationalist, neo-Nazi theory okay and um this is by the way what google does all right this is why you shouldn't trust google results okay i i you know at this point i think anybody who understands what's going on knows this but maybe you're not as into politics so you don't really understand what's going on you need to understand that, that the tech industry and google is 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 right there okay is totally captured by the far left Okay, and I first started noticing this in the mid two thousands um, when I was searching for um, these studies, and I was doing some teachings on homosexuality uh, for my church, and um, I had read a number of studies that showed that there was a link between people who um, identified as 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 gay or lesbian or bisexual and a history of being sexually abused. Okay, I had looked at three studies in particular um, that had found that link, and I had bookmarked all those pages. And um, I remember I was going back in the mid two thousands, and I was, you know, looking for those links because I was preparing, you know, another talk about it. And all of those links were now broken. They're all broken. I tried googling around to find those studies and that information, and those studies had been wiped from the internet. <laughs> Like I could not find them, right? I had I had notes about them, and I was searching, 
you know, for these studies, and they they just were not on the internet. In fact, all the Google results came were pointing towards one of the UCs. I can't remember if it was UC Santa Barbara or UC Davis. It's pointing towards UC Santa Barbara or Davis, and all of them were saying there is zero evidence of a link between um, history of sexual abuse and identifying as LGBT. All right, and I remember reading that and be like, OMG, they have scrubbed the internet. <laughs> like, I remember being shocked by this because this was, you know, relatively early on that this type of thing was happening. And I was like, oh my gosh, they are trying to control information. Now, the irony is that if you search for those studies today, you can actually find them again because the narrative has shifted now. During that time, there was this narrative where there was no link between sexual abuse and, you know, the LGBT, those who identified as gay, okay? The narrative has shifted again, okay? Now, they acknowledge that there is a link, all right, between a history of being sexually abused and identifying as LGBT, um, but they say, you know, the last I looked into it, most of the people were basically saying um, that, you know, those who are LGBT um, tend to draw sexual predators or something like that. Right. So, again, the, the idea is not that being abused causes these types of sexual deviancies. All right. They want to argue against that type of narrative. Right. And that's why they scrubbed it, you know, over 10 years ago from the Internet. And Google was obviously very complicit in that, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, now they've changed the narrative and they're they're framing it the way that they want to. All right. So I, I say this because you may not understand how this type of censorship has been going on. But let me just tell you, it for sure has been going on for a while now. I I was alarmed by that. There's been a number of incidents that have really made me aware and alarmed of this. The, 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 uh, another big one was when Alex Jones was um, kicked off the internet. <laughs> I think Apple banned Alex Jones, YouTube banned Alex Jones, Google banned Alex Jones. They, all the tech companies banned Alex Jones in the course of two weeks. And I remember, I didn't really know who Alex Jones was. I had seen... Um, his YouTube channel, which was, used to be called Infowars, I had seen that that was one of the most popular YouTube channels, but I had never really watched it. And um, But when they all banned him at the same time, I was like, that looks like a conspiracy. It looks like a coordinated banning of all these different tech companies. And I remember when I when I dug into it, because I did, again, I didn't really know Alex Jones very well, um, when I really dug into it and I found out that many of them were using you know, the argument that, oh, it's because he was, you know, saying that Sandy Hook was an inside a government, inside government job, and um, some kind of, they were saying that's harassment. And then when I actually found, I actually found Alex Jones saying, you know, I, I did say that at one point. When, when Sandy Hook first happened, I said it was an inside job, and then as I continued to look at the evidence, I realized, no, it was not an inside job. And I openly said that, I'm saying that now, right? And then he went on um, Joe Rogan, and said that very explicitly. And I was like, why would they all ban somebody who has recanted something said? They're, they're, they're saying they're banning him because he, he says this. But there's all these clips and all this footage of him recanting it and saying that, yeah, I, I admit that I did say that at first and then I, I recanted it. It, it, it did not make sense. Like, clearly to me, there was another reason why he was being scrubbed from the internet. Okay, and um, and I'm I'm convinced. You know, this idea of the great replacement theory. To be honest, this is another one of the things that I'm not. You know, I had to look it up because I'm like, okay, what exactly is the great replacement theory? <laughs> um, it's the same thing. You go and you look and you Google it, and what you find is you find all these attacks against the great replacement theory. I mean, you can't even find out what it is from those who actually believe in it. Do you know what I mean? The only way you can find out about it is from those who hate it. And that's a sign that there is some, you know, there's censorship on this issue. And that, to me, is a red flag that there's truth there that they're trying to hide. And I want to know what it is they're trying to hide, okay? And ironically, as I was, you know, scrubbing, searching around the internet, I found out that Tucker Carlson um, supports the great, great replacement theory, meaning it's not that he supports it, it's that he believes that it's true, 
Okay, and the great replacement theory is this idea that one a, a Democrat strategy or a strategy on the left is to replace conservative voters with foreigners who are more amenable to vote democratically or for the Democrat Party, I should say. Okay, um, now you know when I heard what it actually is, I'm like, well, of course that's true. <laughs> like that's obviously true. Okay, it's it's it you know, <laughs> it's pretty obvious that Democrats don't mind a high level of illegal immigration because they think that that's going to um, help them in the long run, right, to retain power. That seems obviously true to me, okay? Um, but the reason I bring it up is because I can tell just by Googling about it that this is an issue that they're trying hard to censor, right, and to cancel anybody that says it. Okay, and this is one of the the hallmarks that we, as people who are seeking the truth in the 21st century, these are the the type of hallmarks that you have to pay attention to because this is this is where you can find truth that they're trying to hide. Okay, and what that means is that people who bring this up immediately they're labeled as you know far right wing neo Nazis and zealots and all this kind of stuff. But you, you in the 21st century you have to be able to see through this kind of rhetoric. Okay, you have to be able to see through it. If you can't see through it, in from my perspective, you are a pawn. Okay, from my perspective, you are a pawn. If you naturally believe that everybody they're calling racist is actually racist, frankly, uh, you, from my perspective, you are incredibly deceived living in the 21st century. Okay, and to be fair, that that is a lot of people that don't aren't really you know researching and trying to find out the truth about these issues. They just kind of believe what a lot of these establishment sources are saying, okay? Um, for people who are not that familiar with this, I would highly recommend, um, I'm doing a discipleship group right now, and one of the materials that we're going through is Christopher Rufo's book um, on um, America's Cultural Revolution, okay? Um, I would highly recommend that people read this so they can understand what the heck's going on. Okay, Rufo does a pretty phenomenal job. Um, you know, I'm 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 actually semi blown away reading this book um, because this it, what it's doing is it's detailing all the stuff that I'm seeing, all the censorship, all the um, you know the the left wing attempts to shape the narrative, all this kind of stuff. Um, but it's showing how the roots of all of this um, was back in the 60s and 70s with um, a professor named Marcuse at UCSD who um, really, he explained all of this stuff. And to me it was fascinating how explicit that these people on the far left were, right? The Weather Underground, how explicit they were about what they were going to do and how all of them became university professors and basically started to train and disciple young pupils who would take it into the institutions, which is exactly what has happened. So in my opinion, Rufu does a phenomenal job explaining how all of this has happened. But getting back to what Vivek is saying here, he talks about the great replacement theory as not a you know, a, a right-wing conspiracy theory, but it's just a simple, it, it, it's obviously true. Okay, it's obviously true. All right. Um, the 2020 election was stolen, he said, by big tech. Now, that's 100% true. That's obviously true, right? And and that's, it, even if we just were to say that it was the Hunter Biden laptop story, right? So if you're, if you're not familiar with this, the New York Post, which is one of the oldest news publications in America, but they tend to be a little bit more conservative. They broke a story on Hunter Biden's laptop that was filled essentially with child pornography and, and all this kind of stuff. And um, they ran the story on Twitter and they got banned, right? They got censored. The story got torpedoed. These, you know, I don't know if it was ex-intelligence officials or current intelligence officials, but they all came out saying that this is clearly Russian propaganda, all this kind of stuff. And all of that was a brazen lie. Okay, all of that was a brazen lie. And they've done, you know, polls since then, you know, asking Americans, would this have changed your vote for Biden? And there was a significant number of people who said, yes, it would have changed my vote. I would not have voted for Biden if I had known about this. Right, so that's the type of stuff that Vivek is talking about. But that's that's obviously just one thing. It was the entire tech apparatus, right, skewing the results. And this goes back to some of the Google censorship that I was talking about earlier, right? When you just typed in Donald Trump into the Google search bar, 
right? All the suggested, <laughs> Donald Trump is a racist, right? Donald Trump lied about this. Donald Trump is a fascist, right? And then if you did the same with, um, you know, Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton, you, you get positive results, right? They're, they're skewing the search results, okay? And that's just what Google's doing. But Twitter was doing it. The Twitter files came out. Um, there's been more revelations. Jim Jordan, who is a conservative um, congressman, has released all of this data showing how Facebook censored conservative-leaning news and all this kind of stuff be because the, the, the federal government, sources in the federal government, were telling them to do it. Okay, so all of this has come out, and this absolutely is true. This absolutely happened. Okay, and and this is this is one of my huge complaints for moderate Democrats. Like when I'm talking about far left Democrats, like progressive Democrats, these are you know many of them are are either openly Marxist or they understand that they're in support of Marxism generally. Okay, look, they're ideologically committed in that direction, and they're you know Marxism has always advocated for outright censorship, outright suppression of opposing narratives, okay? This is what Marxists have done for over 100 years, okay? So I'm not so mad at the Marxists because I understand this is the game they play, and, and frankly, this is why I think Marxism is one of the most evil ideologies. It is. It is the most evil and destructive ideology of the past 100 years, okay? So I am ideologically committed against the far left, all right? But the problem is all these moderate Democrats. There's so many moderate Democrats who, because they're poisoned against the right, they've bought into all of the far-left narrative that, you know, Trump is a racist, anybody, you know, he hates all these foreigners and other people who vote for him, they're all racist. They've bought into this stuff, and they've allowed these Marxists to gain so much power in our nation, all right? To me, a lot of these moderate Democrats, who I have much more in common with, okay, um, if they weren't so poisoned by all of this, you know, all, all this narrative, they would be otherwise pretty reasonable people, all right? But that's the problem. They, they have allowed themselves, because in many cases of their own offenses, right? Because many of them have, you know, conservative family members. Maybe their parents are conservative. Maybe their grandparents, maybe their uncles and their aunts, they have cousins that were conservative and they're so poisoned against them, right? And th the reality is, you know, if if we were to line up our morality, you know, I'm, I, I consider myself like I'm center right, okay? Now today, I, that puts me pretty right. <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, I'm, I'm actually pretty center right. Um, but people like me are labeled far right, you know, alt-right Nazis now, okay? Um, but the truth is, if we were to line up, you know, our, our morality with people in the center-left, I mean, 90% of it would really be the same, okay? 90, because it's all built atop a biblical foundation. It's a Judeo-Christian foundation of morality, right? But that 10% difference, they're so offended about, right? They're so offended, and it, and it, it really is, you know, for those of us who are Christian, we understand this is a demonic stronghold offense is a demonic stronghold because it allows you to be manipulated and controlled and um and and that is what's going on when you know when we're talking about like abortion right the the most common narrative that even moderate democrats believe is that republicans hate women and they want to control their bodies right like it's so obviously not true okay like it <laughs> It's so obviously not true, okay? Like, our position is very easy to understand, and it's very easy to articulate. No, we believe that it's a baby, and we're trying to protect the baby, okay? Like, it's pretty obvious. But what's happened is because there's this root of offense, they're so willing to demonize and agree with that demonic kind of, of characterization. They hate women. They want to control their lives and all this kind of stuff. And it's really the moderate Democrats that have allowed all of this incredible Marxist influence into the country. And, you know, the, the conservatives have been yelling about it. I've been yelling about this type of censorship because this is communist-level censorship that's been happening. I've been saying for years we are living through the greatest brainwashing in American history. That is happening. It's obviously happening. Um, but people, even moderate Democrats, say this is crazy talk. This is in, you know, you're, you're like a neo-Nazi or something like that. And I just have to say, lovingly, you've allowed so much evil into our nation because you've allowed them to poison your perspective on this kind of stuff, okay? And 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 Vivek is, is just willing to say it, okay? The 2020 election was clearly stolen, okay? Now, was it stolen also with, with you know, fraudulent votes? What? I think 
probably, but you know, there's we don't know. We don't know how many fraudulent votes were cast. Okay, were there for sure fraudulent votes? Of course there were, right? But we don't know how many fraudulent votes there were. Okay, and to be to be clear, like you know, there's been this narrative on the left. It was this most secure election in history. That's that's a bald faced lie. That's a bald faced lie. We have Democratic congressmen, including Chuck Schumer, right, who's the leader of of, of the Senate Democrats. Okay, we have him saying that we can't have mail-in ballots because it's it's too uh, prone to fraud. Okay? We have Democratic Congress people saying that before the 2020 election. There was a, a pretty clear consensus that we can't have widespread mail-in ballots because the, the potential for fraud is way too great. And, and then they're going to turn around and say, no, it's impossible that there was fraud. Come on. This is clearly politically motivated. It's clearly a lie. There clearly was fraud. We just don't know how much because, you know, conservatives wanted an investigation. All right. Just in the same way that Democrats wanted an investigation into the Russian collusion stuff. And they got one. All right. We wanted an investigation. We did not get one. So it's impossible to say. All right. I, I don't know. I don't know how many fraudulent ballots were cast, okay? I don't know how bad the fraudulent voting problem is. It is something I'm very, very concerned about, just like many people on the right are. The problem is there, there's no way to have like a serious investigation into all this stuff because the ideological capture in so many of these government institutions, it makes it very dishonest. And we're going to get into that in a second when we, when we talk about the January 6th stuff, okay? Um, Vivek goes on to say the 2016 election was stolen by the national security establishment. He's exactly right. Trump spent his entire first term in office, you know, I say that because I, I think he'll probably get a second term. He, he spent his, his four years in office defending accusation after accusation about how, you know, he's colluding with Russia and they're, they're running stories about him nonstop. He's being betrayed by all these people in the national security apparatus, undermining his authority, leaking all this stuff. He, he's, he's under constant siege in his own government, right? That happened. I was there for all of that, okay? The 2016 election was stolen, all right, by the national security apparatus. That's why he's talking constantly about, I need to drain the swamp. And I was one of those people that was like, okay, I think we probably do need to drain the swamp until I saw all of that. And I was like, OMG, we really need to drain the swamp. Like, I think we should probably at this point move the Capitol. <laughs> like, if a Republican is elected president, I don't think he should do it in Washington, D.C. <laughs> like, I think he should he should have his capital, you know, be in, like, Kansas or something. <laughs> you know, be in Tennessee, right? Because, like, Washington, D.C. is the most liberal city in the nation. <laughs> okay, you're not going to get people who are, they're going to, you're going to get constant people who are trying to undermine your administration. That's, that's the reality of politics in 2023 here. Okay, like, it's ridiculous how polarized this is. And again, it's, it's, Going back to, it's because of Marxism, okay? There's a difference, like, uh, because, again, Marxists are willing to undermine all these institutions. They're willing to openly lie, right? They're willing to do all this kind of stuff in order to get power, all right? And this is, I'm not just talking about, you know, 21st century Marxists. I'm talking about Marxists for the past 100 years. This is the modus operandi. This is how they operate. This is historical fact, okay? And frankly, it is, it is insanely naive to think Historically, Marxists operate like this, but now the Marxists are honest. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> like in Marxist, you know, literature, they openly advocate for this type of thing, right? Like this is not, this is obvious to anybody who's actually trying to understand these things. Okay, um, this is all the stuff that Vivek Ramaswamy is now saying publicly as a serious presidential candidate on the right. Okay, before you had Trump hinting at some of these things, but the problem is Trump is, can't really articulate these things very well, okay? Vivek Ramaswamy is an incredibly articulate um, political candidate. I'm maybe the most articulate one that I've heard in a long, long time, okay? He is, he, he really understands what he's talking about, okay? Um, I want to get back to the first thing he said about January 6th being inside job. I want to play this clip because um, he was challenged by a CNN reporter um, on this on the subject, and he explains what he's talking about here. So let's listen to this clip. Let's start okay. with January 6th. Sure. There is no evidence that it is an inside job. It was a fringe conspiracy theory that the 
Trump-appointed FBI Director Christopher Wray has said explicitly over and over is just not true. So let me, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to address it. I was an anti-woke crusader leaving the business world, and if you had asked me three years ago, is there some chance January 6th is an inside job, I would have said that was crazy talk. I would say looking at the facts of the video footage that have come out, Dana, it is shocking that you still haven't gotten a clear answer of how many federal agents were in the field that day. Look at now the video footage of actually throwing explosives and rubber bullets into what was a peaceful crowd, then releasing to the public what came in response to that. But now look at the video footage that was released, and I'm glad we're talking about it because viewers deserve to look at that footage. Capitol Police literally letting people in who were then now prosecuted, some of whom have gone on to commit suicide because of what the government's doing. That is a case of entrapment, and I think the government has not been transparent about this, which is why I then brought up another case where the government, now 20 years later, with declassified documents, tells us that they lied to us at the time. And so I do think we have a government that's people. consistently lied to its people. But an inside job suggests that everybody was who, who attacked the Capitol was well, part of some... that. I didn't say that, but I was saying that there is a case, there's entrapment going on. There's entrapment going on, and this looks like a case of entrapment. And if you look at even over what the last day... What do you mean day, by entrapment? Entrapment means that the police no. goaded people to do something otherwise than they otherwise wouldn't have done, and then they arrest them for actually doing it. And you, you saw don't that, think and, it was and, actually the former president who let's, was let's, trying well, I think to that was the people. media narrative. Now, look at actually we hard case. We heard well, him I'm, with I'm going to ask you about ears. a case and see what you think about this, right? You guys said this for a long time about the Gretchen Whitner kidnapping plot. Suddenly gone silent after it comes out at trial that absolutely that was a case of entrapment, which is why two of those people were acquitted. So I'm saying this as somebody who... On the other side of this, as a biotech CEO, somebody who was even anti-woke, but if I was looking at this, I would have said a lot of this is crazy talk. But if you actually get into the details, I think it is startling how much the government has systematically lied. And I think it's both both parties over the course of the last 25 years. But on the, the left used to be better at pointing this out the, and being skeptical of the government, the most, but now it's the right. Which is the most aggressive, offensive attack on the U.S. Capitol and on democracy itself that we have seen in our lifetime and in many, many lifetimes to say without evidence that it was an inside shot. I'm not shot saying it without dangerous. evidence. I think that what we're seeing now is the video footage that's come out. I was in a different place before a lot of that evidence came out. But you have to respond to the evidence. What is your response or what is anybody else in CNN's response to the video footage that was released of Capitol Police literally well, just peacefully allowing well, people well, into the Capitol? What we know or shooting is that into 850 people that's, that's, have been convicted but, of crimes. But the reality is many of them were convicted before that information was released. Because do glad, you think that former I'm President Trump up, has though, anything to do with no, no, this? No, because you're bringing up a really good point, and your audience and everybody deserves to know the truth about this. Normally, there's a rule in constitutional law. It's called the Brady Rule. You have to turn over exculpatory evidence to the other side. In this case, it wasn't turned over because the DOJ said Congress okay. was sitting. Okay, so there's he there there he is talking about January 6th. I I remember when January 6th happened. I remember feeling like, okay, wait, wait, the the new the media is going crazy with it. They're calling it a debacle. They're calling it like. You know, they're calling it the worst thing since 9-11, and, and I don't get it. Like, w how could this be the worst? And, and as time went by, I realized what they were actually saying. They were saying that it was an attempted coup. <laughs> okay. A coup is a military takeover, right? It's usually a general. It's a general because the general has the loyalty of the military, and they decide to take over the nation, right? That, that's a coup, okay? They were saying that... that January 6th was an insurrection in that the people were actually trying to take over the government because Donald Trump was leading some type of... He was trying to get them to take over the government, okay? It is an insane lie. I always thought it was an insane lie. I was like... I, when I realized why they were casting it the way they were, I was like, oh, I see what they're trying to do. And they've gone on and they have they have been um, sentencing these people, Right? These these protesters. I I interviewed one of them, by the way, um, on the podcast. Beverly, <laughs> I forgot her name. Um, and um, and I said that because I actually knew a number of people that that were there. Okay, and I could tell you, none of the people that I knew that were there had any intention or even idea or guess that that they were trying to lead an insurrection. <laughs> okay. Because this is pure, this is pure political framing. Right? It, it, it's a frame job, okay. And um, the government's trying to send these people to jail. And you know, the right we've been we've been crying out for them to release the January six tapes. Um, and 
we don't know why they're not releasing the tapes. And it seems pretty obvious now why they weren't releasing the tapes, okay? Because there clearly was an attempt to frame this as an insurrection. And um, the alarming part about this is that it, it did it does seem to take some Republican cooperation on this, right? Like, the Republican establishment really hates Donald Trump, and I don't fully understand all the reasons there, okay? Um, but they were they were willing to frame up, you know, to frame this thing and to send these people to prison, um, you know, and I'm not talking about the people who got violent. I, I think people who, who, you know, got violent... Um, do deserve some kind of you know punishment for that. All right, I'm talking about the people that wandered in the Capitol because the police welcomed them in. <laughs> okay, and they walked around like tourists. Okay, I'm talking about those people. Like sending those people to jail as as traitors to the nation. Like this is insane. We ha- we have BLM people and Antifa people that are literally burning down federal buildings, and they get no jail time. They get nothing, and then you have these Donald Trump supporters purely because they are Donald Trump supporters um, and they're being framed as as traitors to the nation trying to lead an armed insurrection facing jail time it is it is it's it's not insanity like I, I'm tempted to to characterize it. it's not insanity it's a it's a deeply dishonest political framing okay and again this is the kind of stuff that happens in communist dictatorships okay this is the kind of stuff that happens in in nazi germany right this is the kind of stuff that that happens in all these places that we've heard about but it's happening here in america and um and and frankly uh, it's so disturbing it's so disturbing you know vivek is making the argument that that there was entrapment here that seems pretty clearly what was happening okay and i you know i'm not going to say that you know all all the capital police were in on it um, but there clearly was an attempt to entrap a lot of people, to frame them, um, to discredit Donald Trump, to do all this kind of stuff. And it's deeply dishonest and corrupt politics. Okay, and um, and frankly, you know, we're we're at the place where if I thought that the left was going to succeed at all this stuff, um, I think that we'd have to seriously consider revolution. Okay, um, I don't think they will succeed. Okay, I think um, I think the truth will break free of all this crazy, insane censorship. I think um, I think the conservatives are going to emerge victorious, not you know not because um, you know we're going to outdo them at their devious games. I, I don't think that. I just think the truth is breaking out. Like I think you know Elon Musk purchasing Twitter was maybe one of the most important things that happened to our nation. Right? Maybe that prevented a real civil war. Um, you know, I, to be clear, I, I do think there's still danger of a civil war. Um, but Elon purchasing Twitter and starting to break the stronghold of big tech, uh, that was such a huge development, you know. And, you know, Elon Musk went from one of the most popular people on the left to one of the most demonized. And, and this is why, because he's standing in the way of their agenda. And for him, he's not meaning to stand away in their agenda. He's just he's just sees this corruption and is now speaking out against it. He's one of the moderate Democrats that I appreciate. Right? Like he he began to see all the corruption and he began speaking out, speaking speaking out about it. And now, of course, he's being demonized in the exact same way that conservatives were demonized before him. Right. In, in the decade or two before him. Right. And that's what's happening. Any moderate liberal that speaks out that that says, hey, there's something wrong here. Well, they they get the they get the alt right treatment, okay, and that's that's what's going on, okay. All right, so that's Vivek Ramaswamy. He's really been impressing me, and um, you know, I, I got to say, you know, I'm sure he's gonna now. I'm now. I think the persecution against him is gonna is gonna go to a whole new level, right? The reason why he's not being persecuted as much as he could be is because he's not seen as having that much power, but. If he does a good job articulating these things that Republican candidates have been afraid to openly articulate, and he does a really good job doing it, he becomes way more dangerous. Because now what he's doing is he's able to articulate what Trump has been saying on a gut level, but has not been great at educating everybody about, right? Ramaswamy is actually capable of educating a lot of people about this, okay? So at the least, 
um, he's playing an extremely important role as kind of like you know the the voice figure who's speaking out very clearly about a lot of this stuff. And I expect that the persecution against him is is going to increase a lot. And to be clear, you know, it, it's so ironic because he's going to be called you know a racist and all this kind of stuff, even though he's Indian. Right? <laughs> he's going to be called all this stuff is going to come from. Um, but the second news item I want to look at is the testimony that the presidents of these universities gave in Congress the other day. Right? This is insane. If you haven't seen this, um, this is um, the president of Harvard being um, questioned by a Republican congresswoman, and um, here's what she had to say. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted yeah, at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard code of conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. All right, and that was a crazy clip. Okay, that's that's uh, the president of, of, of Harvard, and um, her testimony was very similar, eerily similar to the testimonies of the University of uh, the president of the University of Pennsylvania, I believe, and um, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology (MIT). Um, they all gave very similar testimony, saying essentially the same thing, which is insane. And um, I have heard, you know, some of them have started to walk back. I think the president gave a, 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 an apology. The presidents of Harvard and, and Penn gave an apology online um, and, and, you know, basically made it clear that they don't accept. You know, but, but they were asked straight out, you know, is calling for genocide of Jews, you know, against your campus policies? And they basically said no. All right. That's essentially what they said. And the, the ironic thing is they said because of free speech. That, that's a lie. That is a lie. Okay, that's a lie. Okay, um, because they will not protect free speech on the other side. And and by the way, Christopher Rufo in that book that I mentioned earlier, the America's Cultural Revolution, he talks about this very explicitly. How Marcuse, this was a this was the professor back in the nineteen sixties and seventies, who's basically articulating the entire game plan for the new left. How he made it really clear what they were going to do is they were going to preach tolerance. And by what they meant by tolerance was that they were going to preach tolerance towards every idea that comes from the left, but intolerance towards every idea that comes from the right. And so openly they're going to they're going to use the, the the terminology of tolerance, right? But internally they all knew what they were going to tolerate and what they were going to be intolerant about, right? And that's what I'm talking about. This is Marxist ideology. This is how it works. It uses word games to deceive and manipulate. Okay, and that's exactly what's going on here, right? You know, they're talking about because of free speech, we're not going to stop this. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a political manipulation, all right? They're giving lip service to free speech when they know that they're openly defying free speech. And um, in other parts of that interview, the congresswoman, you know, asked her about how Harvard in the past has refused admission to students who were conservative and said things they didn't like, Right? That's exactly what happened, and that continues to happen. Let's be honest, okay? That is happening all over the university system. If you say unpopular things from the right, you will absolutely be disciplined. You will absolutely be refused ent entrance into these places. That will absolutely happen because they have an agenda, okay? Because these universities have been captured by Marxist ideology, and, and that's why you have, you know, the, the people in there that, that are in there, right? I saw um, a post on Twitter where a guy was saying um, that the president of Harvard has only, like, something like 11 published papers or something like that, like an incredibly small number of published papers, which is, which is you know, in, in that field of academia, that's what constitutes, you know, you being an excellent, you know, professor, is that you're producing, you know, academic thought and content, and the reality is that a lot of these um, academic um, administrators are, 
are not promoted for their academic excellence. Okay, they're not promoted because um, you know they're they're such great scholars and they're protecting the institutes or anything like that. No, they're protect they're they're promoted primarily because they're able to toe the party line, which again these days is the Marxist party line. Okay, now some people think, oh, that's really cynical. You know, Pastor Dennis, no, uh, come on, that's really honest. That's really obvious at this point. Okay, there's a reason why 90, over 90%, it's like 95% of, you know, faculty donations at Harvard and pretty much all the other Ivy League schools, why they all go to the Democrat Party. Okay, it's not because, it's not because smart people are Democrats. That, come on, you have to be so naive to believe that. All right, no, it's because there's censorship. All right. It's because there is a political agenda in all of this, and it's been happening. It's pretty obvious that it's been happening. Okay, I get off my high horse of politics, but um, you know the reason why I talk so much about politics as a pastor is because you have to understand we're in a war of ideologies, and that is absolutely what Christianity is about. It's a war of ideologies. Okay, and my my allegiance is to the gospel. All right, and the gospel is not the good news about how you can be saved from your sins. Right? No, it, the gospel is the good news about how Jesus has been given authority over all of heaven and earth. Okay? That is the gospel, that his commands are to be obeyed, that he is to be rightly honored as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Okay? That is my understanding of the gospel. And so when we're talking about Jesus' commands, should they be honored? Should he be feared? Should, should we uh, devote ourselves to him? as a nation? And the answer, from my perspective, is yes. In any ideology, any argument that raises itself above the knowledge of Christ, I'm at war against. Okay? And today, the most popular ideology that's pushing against the gospel is Marxism in the West. That is why, as a Christian, I'm at war with Marxism. That's why you, as a Christian, if you, you know, the reality is almost everybody who listens to this podcast is Christian, you should be at war with Marxism. You should be at war with secular humanism. You should be at war with Islam. These are all ideologies that seek to undermine the authority of Christ. Okay? You should be at war with these ideologies. All right? And that's why I, you know, we should not see these things as being divorced from the work of Christianity. These things are intric- intricately interconnected. Okay? And that's why, by the way, the church is the greatest oppo- opponent of Marxism in the nation. Okay, it's not, it's not coincidence that, you know, the Marxist goal is always to ridicule and sabotage religion. They understand, all right? Marxists understand that the number one danger posed to them is religious people, okay? Because religion gives you a foundation of truth that's deeper than what Marxists can manipulate, all right? Um, that, that guy who defected from the Soviet Union, oh man, I can't remember his name. There was a KGB agent that defected from the Soviet Union. He came to America. He started he started giving lectures on you know Soviet infiltration tactics and all this kind of stuff. And he and he said that the the most dangerous you know Marxists recognize you know the com the communists in the Soviet Union recognize that the number one thing that would stop them from seeing a communist revolution in America was the church. So you had to ridicule religion, right? You had to make fun of it. You had to discredit it in the minds of the populace, right? And then you had to discredit the history of the nation, right? You had to take away patriotism, pride in the nation, because then you destabilize the the loyalty that people have to the institutions, all this kind of stuff. You you destabilize all of that so that you can launch an effective communist revolution, okay? This is is Marxist tactics, and this is exactly what has been going on in America. Um, All right, now... I want to get to you know the main thing that I, w- I want to talk about today, which is um, can we have another revival in America? All right, and um, that's because I think you know the average Christian today, if you look around at America, it 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 kind of seems like okay, there's there's very little hope. <laughs> there's very little hope that America can again be a predominantly Christian nation. Okay, and and um, and I understand because look the 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 White House is flying gay pride flags, right? We have gay pride flags in our elementary schools in, in many places, right? We've got you know, we've got um, so many people that hate, absolutely hate the Bible and hate Bible thumpers like me, okay? And the idea that all those people, or many of them, could come to repentance and now give their allegiance to Christ and try to follow his commands seems like so impossible. And I get that. Okay, I get that. But I, I want to say this. But this is why we study Scripture. Okay, this is why we study Scripture. And what you're going to see again and again in Scripture is that Israel has times of great national rebellion against the Lord. All right? 
in the times of Elijah. Elijah says, I'm, I'm the last one, God. <laughs> I'm the last one who's faithful to Yahweh. And God has to correct him and say, no, you don't know about them, but there's 7,000, there's a remnant of 7,000 in Israel that have not betrayed me. They've not bowed the knee to Baal. Okay? And so that's what I want to say, that for many of us, it can look like it's impossible, right? But even Israel, coming from that time of great national rebellion, came to repentance, okay? And in fact, we see national repentance come upon Israel many times, okay? We see it in Moses' time. We see it in Joshua's time. We see it in Samuel, the prophet Samuel's time. We see it in David's time. We see it in Hezekiah's time, in Josiah's time, in Nehemiah's time. And Paul prophesied that that the Jewish nation would repent again in the future when they receive Jesus as their Messiah, okay? So there is going to be all the great national repentance in Israel, but we've already seen that that's happened. They've gone from a place of incredible rebellion against the Lord and his ways to national repentance where now they're calling on the name of the Lord, right? And they have times of great national revival. And, you know, Israel has had a lot of time. They've had thousands of years in their histories with God. And so for us, we're, you know, we're a young nation, okay? We're only, you know, 300 years old, something like that. Like, we're a very young nation. And so... Our thing, our times is as bad as they've ever been in America, for sure. Yeah, I don't think we've ever been more rebellious than this generation. Okay, um, but can a nation be saved in this situation? And my answer is yes. Okay, my answer is absolutely yes. And um, you know, some people might say, well, you know, you're talking about Israel as an example, but Israel's kind of an exception, right? They're the chosen people. You you can't equate America with Israel. And I'm like, you don't you don't need to you don't need to. Israel's just one example. I believe we're we're called to study the example of Israel. Okay, and there's a reason why, because we're to learn from their example. All right. But we've seen this type of thing happen in other nations. And the one that really stands out to me is England. Okay, I have, I have tons of respect. Um, for England, okay. Um, in 1738, Bishop George Berkeley, who um, you know the city of Berkeley was named after, all right. And my school, the University of California at Berkeley, my alma mater, they were named after this guy, all right. Bishop George Berkeley said, in this was in 1738, he said this that um, morality and religion in Britain had collapsed to a degree. This is quote to a degree that was never known in any Christian country. <laughs> Okay, so he said, Britain has wandered away from the Lord more than any Christian nation has ever wandered away. Now, I don't think he's probably, I don't think he's right about that characterization, okay? <laughs> but that's what he said, okay? And um, in 1738, that was maybe, you know, a decade or two before the Great Awakening really started to take off, okay? And, um, you know, the Great Awakening was, you know, primarily an American phenomenon, but it deeply affected England, okay? And it was primarily led by English ministers, okay? Like George Whitfield, John Wesley, these were English pastors and, and preachers, right? And their their greatest fruit was here in America, but they, they also, England had a great religious um, revival also, okay? And, and that is how a lot of times you see it. In the times of the greatest darkness... Okay, God releases a move of God, an outpouring of the Spirit that completely shifts the narrative. Okay, and um, Britain went through a time of of great revival, you know, and their their best days were to come. You know, like um, William Wilberforce in the era before you know the the Civil War um, in the eighteen you know uh, maybe the first half of the eighteenth century. Right, he is. He is calling for the abolition of slavery. He's laughed at. You know, he, he had a, he had a saying. He wanted to make purity popular again in England. He was fighting for biblical morals and values in the nation. Okay, and um and Britain would go on right to not only abolish the slave trade legally, but then they would go abroad and abolish it around the rest of the world. Right. So, you know, it, it must have seemed impossible in the early course of William Wilberforce's life. And then to see the fruit of everything that happened, because a remnant continued to believe. All right, and then of course, um, you know, before um, you know, in the in the early Pentecostal revivals in the early 20th century, um, revival hit Wales. You know, part of a, a part of Britain. Uh, first, Evan Roberts, you know, um, believed God gave him visions to see a hundred thousand people saved. And in fact, you know, some scholars will argue that probably over a million people were saved. 
right, in that, that the Welsh revival um, that was really part of a, a series of Pentecostal, early Pentecostal revivals, including Azusa Street and in, in um, Southern California, and then in India and Korea, Pyongyang revival. Okay, all of this stuff hit because there was a remnant that was continuing to contend and believe that God could pour out his spirit. And everything changes when God pours out his spirit, okay? Um, so I think there is great hope for America because... America does have a strong believing remnant, okay? I, I will say this, like, you know, uh, the American remnant is deeply divided, okay? We have all these little squabbles amongst ourselves over, you know, over theology issues, and, you know, we're always sniping at each other <laughs> for little differences that we have, you know? Um, but the truth is, even though we're, we're incredibly divided and, um, you know, have, have some moral failures and... All kinds of Amer- the American church is still the greatest force for good in our nation, and we're still standing against the tide of Marxism. We we are the thing that has kept Marxism from taking over the nation. Okay, and um and I have incredible respect for the American remnant uh, because th- you know one of our one of our great um, values in America is our independence. Right, we're not going to allow people to bully us or to push us around, even if you know, even if we're jailed, even if we have to die for the sake of our convictions, we're going to do it. And that there's something in the American psyche that is like that. All right, and um, that cowboy, you know, <laughs> that cowboy culture, and um, and it's at work today. All right, it's the reason why you can have this entire you know censorship apparatus where big tech is controlling all these narratives and the media is all preaching this one thing, and you can still have such a huge portion of the country that that looks at that and goes, "No, I'm not believing what you're saying," right? And that you know that independence and that reliance on scripture, even though we argue about you know what the scripture means and like I think it, this passage means this and you think it means that, but there is this incredible respect for the Bible amongst the American remnant, right? And we're still studying it and teaching our kids, right? And and teaching them not to rely on the government or on outside forces, but to rely on the Lord. Okay, there's the remnant in America, to me, man, they're the heroes of this past generation. Okay. And um and I'm and I'm proud, even though, you know, I, I have little petty squabbles. <laughs> Just like all the all the remnant we, we we like to petty squabble. But the truth is, um, you know, we've been incredibly faithful in the grand scheme of things, okay? And I'm hopeful that this remnant that is standing for truth and continuing to persevere and calling and seeking for the Lord and, and laboring in prayer, I'm hopeful that God's going to pour out the greatest revival ever. This is the remnant that that got Roe versus Wade overturned. Roe versus Wade would never have been overturned without the remnant fighting for it, okay? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of incredible to me to think that abortion could go back whereas everything else is 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 so quickly moving you know in in one direction with the momentum that the left has had over the past 20 years and yet we see roe versus way the, the the issue that we felt was the most important to god and we're contending over that issue and that's the issue that gets overturned because we believe it's important in the eyes of god right we know look i know it's a it's a losing political issue right like i understand that Right, you could see President Trump. He doesn't. He doesn't want to take a strong stance on abortion because he knows how deeply unpopular it is politically. But he knows how important it is to his constituents. Right, you can see that war in him because he he doesn't have, I think, a clear conviction on this issue. All right, but the remnant does. All right, and the remnant has been fighting, you know, for these issues. And I I think we're going to be proven justified. Right in in history. Right when we look back on this era of history, I'm not talking about whatever history books might say, but I'm talking about in the history that's the, the true history that's recorded in heaven um, that shows accurately what actually happened throughout all of human history. Okay? I think you know the remnant will be justified, will be vindicated, will be honored, and you know. And I say this, you know, I think we will have another major revival. I think those who are laboring for that, who are believing, who are giving themselves in prayer, who are standing for truth, even though they're persecuted, right? Even though they're they're censored and silenced and fired from their jobs, okay. Even though that might be happening, um, I think it, it it'll be worth it. Not just because I think we're going to get an American revival, even if we don't, okay. Even if American continues to backslide. You know, and we, you know, we share the fate of Jeremiah, 
right, who saw his warnings despite his intercession, despite his tireless preaching, despite him facing the ridicule, and yet the nation goes into judgment, is taken to exile in Babylon, right, the very thing that he'd warned about, um, even though that happens to him, okay, that could happen to us, all right? We could see that, you know, the Marxists take over completely and completely censor and annihilate, you know, any opposition, and um, that absolutely could happen in America. Um, I don't think it will, though, all right? And, but even if it does, we'll be greatly rewarded in the age to come, and that's, that's, that's what this life is all about, okay? At the end of the day, I am fighting for America because it's, it's my nation, and I want it to be blessed, and I want it to thrive and succeed, but ultimately, firstly, I'm not a citizen of America. I'm a citizen of heaven first, and secondly, I'm an American, Okay, so if America goes into rebellion, I won't be joining America. Okay, even if I share in the judgment that comes upon America, I will not be joining in the rebellion against the Lord. All right, um, believing that my citizenship is in heaven and that I will be rewarded for any ways that I showed faithfulness to the Lord before every other allegiance in my life. Okay, and I believe that there's an entire remnant in America that believes very similarly. And um and they're the heroes of America. Okay, like this is this is what I believe. If we're successful, then America will be, will be blessed for uh, another generation, right? And that's that's worth fighting for for my children's generation. Okay, um, but even if not, those who put their trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. All right, that's the hope that we have, and and it's the hope that all the apostles had, even though they were martyred for their faith, even though they suffered and died for it. Um, in time, their work bore its fruit, okay? And they will be remembered forever in the age to come. They will be greatly rewarded by the Father. All right, hope that makes sense. Let's continue to pray. Let's continue to believe and have hope. Let's continue to keep faith and keep vision. We are not people who should be sleeping through these times, meaning being totally unaware of what the Lord is doing and what he wants to accomplish in the earth. But we should be wide awake and at work laboring and keeping watch for the return of the Lord. Amen? All right, God bless.